1: This is True Crime Garage and this is part two of When a Killer Calls.
2: Over to, I am, and this is
3: the only way, I'm not, not going to spend my life in prison and go to the electric chair. Don so, uh, knows everything, and uh, God bless all of us. And I'm, you, listen, uh, I want to ask you something. This did, got
4: out of hand. This, this got out of hand. All you had to do
3: was let her go. I, I was scared. She she was dehydrating so damn bad. you could have called
4: me for medicine, I would have met you anywhere. Oh, I mean, all you had to do was let her go. Such a beautiful young life.
3: I know that. I that's mean... That's why I have to join her now, hopefully. And, uh, Mrs. Smith, please, uh, please do Okay, well, that's it. I, I got to go. Did she
4: know you when you stopped?
3: Yeah, uh, there'll be pictures. I asked her to stand at the mailbox, and you'll see by the picture her car door and cars in the background and uh, there'll be pictures all there. I think there's about eight pictures, and Charlie Kies will be receiving a set and a detailed letter, like I told you, at his house. And I, if the mail doesn't slow it down, which it probably will, if you don't get it tomorrow, you'll get it the next day. You'll get exact copies of pictures that he gets and uh, exact letters, too. Do
4: you know all of us, or just Sherry?
3: I know the whole family, unfortunately. That's why I can't face you. If I decide different, I've already told Don what's going to happen tonight only, and it'll be collect. And I'm going to allow myself enough time, just enough time to get back in the area to set everything up if you don't hear from me tonight. And Sheriff Metz and Charlie Kiles, I used him as a medium today because I knew the cars were being traced. And they came real close to catching me three or four different times. And they were correct. I am in a red vehicle. What kind? I'm sorry. I, I don't want him to catch me before I meet my Maker on Judgment Day.
4: You think the Maker's going to forgive you now?
3: He'll, he'll do that, or I'll be crucified and go to hell. That's right. Well...
4: And you need to meet with somebody that can talk
3: to you. Well, um, I've got a lot to think about, and I'm I'm gone, Mrs. Smith. And uh, please, I, I know this might be selfish, but uh, y'all please ask a special prayer for me. Your, your daughter said that she was not afraid and she was strong-willed. She uh, knew that she was going to heaven, it was going to be an angel, and like a toton, she was going to be singing like crazy. Did she? When she said that, mm-hmm. she was smiling.
4: Did you tell her you were going to kill
3: her? Yes, I did, and I gave her the choice. Like, it's on the recording. I asked her if she wanted to be drug overdose, shot, or uh, suffocated, and she picked suffocation. Oh my
4: God, how could you?
3: Yeah, us. God knows why this happened. I don't
4: know. It just got out of hand. I
3: thought you, you know what? Goodbye, Mrs. I thought you were considerate
4: and loving and a kind person.
5: The day after they found the body of Sherry Smith, the killer called the home again. And this time he called Collect. He asked to speak with Dawn. He told her he would be sending the family the photos of Sherry, and he asked her for forgiveness and for their prayers. He said he was going to commit suicide because this thing got out of hand, and all he wanted to do in the beginning was to make love to Dawn, and that is why he was watching her. Dawn, startled by this, interrupted the man and asked the man, make love to whom? Then he corrected himself, and he said the name Sherry, and he hung up the phone. Later that same day, the killer called a local TV network and asked for a specific reporter and told that reporter he planned to turn himself in at some point, and he would give the reporter an exclusive interview.
1: Yeah, this guy's changing his stories. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to turn myself in. He should have just killed himself.
5: Yeah, you wonder if it's just, does he need to get forgiveness from the family for some reason, or is this attention-seeking It seems like a lot of work and a lot of effort, risky behavior for some attention.
1: Yeah, but he's a complete wackadoo.
5: Mm -hmm. And the FBI didn't believe or they say they didn't believe the man would turn himself in or kill himself at any point. They believe that the calls were, in fact, seeking forgiveness from Sherry's family, but also to manipulate and control the situation as much as he possibly could and that this guy would eventually kill again.
1: Yeah, well, this guy's a giant piece of shit. Well, What would have been nice, though, is if he would have put himself in a brown paper bag and then rang somebody's doorbell and lit himself on fire.
5: Okay, so I do want to touch on this, though, because we do know from this last phone call that he says that in the beginning all he wanted to do is make love to Dawn. Dawn's 21 years old. Sherry right. Smith is 17. And they actually you can find there's quite a bit of uh, photos and images of both of them on the internet. And you can see that the two of them look very much alike. Okay. So this is when he makes this slip, when he says Dawn instead of Sherry, when he's on the phone with Dawn, I was really curious why the FBI didn't update their profile. Because remember they said at one point that if he had killed before his victims would have been children or young girls. Right. Okay. Well, Sherry, yes, she's 17 and that's more closer to being an adult, but Don is absolutely an adult. So you almost wonder if now at this point, if you're going to say if he is killed before, is there a chance that Don was actually the intended victim? You know, because he he's not going to see her or see a girl that he perceives to be Dawn at the mailbox and walk up and ask her if that's, are you Dawn? You know?
1: Right, but he did take some pictures before, so then you wonder, throwing it out there, maybe this individual's supposed to wear glasses but doesn't. And so is it is it that simple of a mistake and then when he gets closer, it's the wrong girl, but it's too late at that point.
5: I think it's I think it's very much like that. I think it's he the intended victim was Dawn. He hoped to abduct her and do whatever he did with Sherry with her. But I think at some point he would accept the substitution.
1: Or like you said, I mean, I think it's kind of too late. Look, he probably opened up that door for the person. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, it's too late Mm -hmm. in his mind.
5: Well, the man called Don Smith again. Uh, This time he told Don that he gave Sherry a choice of how she would be killed. And The choices were overdose, shooting, or suffocation, and Sherry chose suffocation. He told Don he killed Sherry by placing duct tape over her mouth and nose until she died. Two weeks after the abduction of Sherry, nine-year-old Deborah May Helmick was playing with her three-year-old brother at their home in Richland County when she was abducted from the front yard of the family's home. Mm. A neighbor saw a vehicle pull up and a man get out of the car. The man spoke with Deborah, then grabbed her, threw the screaming girl into his car, and drove off. Now, the neighbor immediately alerted Deborah's father, who was inside their home. They called police, and after, the two of them jumped into a vehicle, and they went speeding after the abductor's car, but were unable to track down the vehicle. Well, this
1: sounds similar, so is the FBI immediately thinking, this is our guy? And Sherry's case.
5: Yeah. Yeah. They believe the offender is one and the same. And with the addition of the second victim, especially a younger victim, the FBI didn't really change their profile, but they did add to the profile. They added that the killer and abductor is a white man, outwardly shy, maybe overweight, but it the very least is not attractive to women,
1: So he's no Bradley Cooper.
5: Those close to him may notice one or more of the following. The offender is experiencing weight loss, drinking heavily, not shaving regularly, and he would be eager to talk about the crimes as he is following the investigation coverage on the evening news or in the papers. He's also a collector of pornography that likely focused on bondage and or is of sadomasochistic nature and because of the young age of the second abducted victim deborah only being nine years old they believed the offender would be too ashamed to call or correspond with deborah's family well this turned out to be true no phone calls and no letters the killer also stopped calling the smith house the FBI believe that the phone calls would be the easiest way to trap the killer.
1: Yeah, I believe it would be as well. And since he's not calling or writing, it's almost like they would want to put out a taunt to him. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he already contacted news reporters before. Have that same news reporter do a report on how this guy... Uh, has become weak and vulnerable because he hasn't reached out to the FBI.
5: So knowing that the unknown subject was following the case in the news and in the papers, the FBI decided to enlist the help of a reporter, of a single reporter. See, They wanted to force this man out into the open or at the very least get him to call the Smiths home once again. They wanted to use Don Smith as bait for their trap. Now, the Smiths begrudgingly went along with this. So they held a memorial service for Sherry Faye Smith. They wanted the Smith family and Dawn present at this memorial service. And during the ceremony, they had reporters snap photos of Dawn holding a stuffed animal belonging to Sherry and flowers for her memorial. Meanwhile, undercover agents wrote down license plate numbers for all the vehicles that were present in the area. Now, this didn't seem to flush out the killer out into the open, but he did once again call the Smith home, this time calling long distance and collect. You have a collect call from a giant piece of shit? Well, that's interesting that you say that, Captain, because, okay, so in these collect calls, mm-hmm. you would, if you were calling someone collect, you would be given a brief uh, set of time there where you could announce who you are. So it would say, You have a collect call from so-and-so, and and then the person receiving the call who would be paying for it can decide if they're going to accept the call, accept the charges or not. Mm -hmm. So during this portion where the caller can announce their name and who they are, it's a man's voice, but he says that his name is Sherry Faye Smith. Okay. Dawn does accept this call. This time the man was not using the voice distortion device. He told Don that God wants her to join Sherry Fay, saying it's just a matter of time. This month, next month, this year, next year, you can't be protected forever. Then he asked Don if she had heard of Deborah May Helmick. Don said she had, to which he tells her, listen carefully. Go one mile west, turn left at Bill's Grill, go three and a half miles through Gilbert, Turn right at the last dirt road before you come to two-notch road. Go through the no trespassing side. Go 50 yards. Deborah May is waiting. God forgive us all. Cherry uh, Face,
2: ma'am? Yes, I'll take the call.
5: Actually, just gone. Uh-huh.
2: Thank you. Don. Yes? You know this is the hoax, correct? Right. Uh, did you find Cherry face ring? Uh,
4: no, I didn't
2: okay i don't know where it is okay um, you know uh god wants you to join cherry bay it's just a matter of time this month next month this year next year you can't be protected all the time and you know uh have you heard about deborah may hamrick uh no the 10 year old h-e-l-m-i-c guy. uh
4: richland county
2: yeah uh-huh okay listen carefully go one north well one west Turn left at Peach Festival Road or Bill's Grill. Go three and a half miles through Gilbert. Turn right. Last dirt road before you come to stop sign at Two Notch Road. Go through chain and no trespassing sign. Go 50 yards and to the Your time is near. God forgive us and protect us all. Good wait a night. second for here, now, what Donnie happened to the Smith? pictures that you said
4: you were going to send to me? What happened to those pictures that you were going to send?
2: Apparently the FBI must have them. No, sir, because when they have something, we get it too, you know. Are you going to send them? I oh, think you're yes. jerking me around because you said they were coming and they're not here. Donnie Smith, I must go. Listen, you said you were going to wait Good for night, God's God direction. For you that. did not give I'll me those pictures. You later.
1: But obviously, he's using Sherry Smith's name so they know who is calling without him giving his name. Just like they keep asking him, "Hey, you got a red car? Is it a Jetta?" But he can control the conversation because he can always hang up, mm-hmm. and and he knows that.
5: Well, and he's controlling the conversation too by reading from a script. So you can hear anytime he's kind of sidetracked with a question. That's exactly what happens to him. He gets sidetracked and he doesn't know he hesitates. He doesn't know where to pick up where he left off from the script, but the script is very smart on his part. And it shows a certain level of organization by this killer that this is probably an organized criminal because he has a message that he wants to give to the family and by creating that script in advance he is assuring himself that oh if i'm going out of my way for this risky behavior of contacting the family mm-hmm. then at least it's worth it because i am i'm guaranteed to get my message out to them if i stick to the script the thing here we get to see a little bit of it's either just straight up lies by the killer which we we know these types Lie often, but it might also be some of his psychosis where he says in one of the calls that he's a family friend and that's why I can't face y'all. And that's not true at all. He doesn't know these people, these people do not know him.
1: Right. But he was also watching Don for a time period. So, like you said, in his thoughts, in his mind, he might have been a family friend to them in his mind.
5: Right. And you see, this situation where he's kind of all over the shop, and what he's telling Don Smith and the family, he's saying, "Look, I'm going to kill myself. I I need to meet my maker. You can't take a life and continue living your life." Right. But you know, and he goes on to say that he won't live in a cage, and he doesn't want to go to prison, and he's not going to be electrocuted. Yeah,
1: he's not going to be caged like a dog.
5: Yeah, and I think the the statement of, "Well, I'll be armed." but I'll no longer be dangerous when they find me, meaning he'll probably still have the gun in his hand from offing himself. Right. Uh, he won't be using that gun on law enforcement when they find him. But then he goes out of his way to say, Sherry Faye wants you to join her, Don, and you can't be protected all the time. It could be next week or next month or a year from now. It, you would think that if he's not completely gone off the rails here, that he is somewhat aware that he can't both kill himself or even turn himself in and then follow through on that threat that he's just made to Don.
1: Yeah, I wonder because... And it's your contention that Don was the initial target and that possibly he just took Sherry by accident.
5: Or he took Sherry as a surrogate for for Don.
1: Right, and I I almost wonder if he takes this nine-year-old Deborah as whatever I say to Don on the call by me taking another victim makes everything I say more real. This is not a hoax. I mean, he says it again on this call, you know, this is not a hoax. Like why do you have to keep bringing that up? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like he's saying like, look what I just did. And your time's coming, whether it's next week, next month, next year. Your time's coming. It's almost like I have this victim I've been stalking, and I did not take, and I didn't take her to be my victim. But I am not going to stop until she becomes my victim.
5: Right, and with the Deborah Helmick case we're probably talking about a situation that's a a crime of opportunity. He sees this little girl in her front yard and for whatever reason, he makes a connection to his previous crimes and decides to abduct the girl. I really think that it's a crime of opportunity that he just happened to see her and it was a victim that he knew he could easily snatch and flee with, uh, with very little trouble to himself. But it goes against everything that he's saying to Dawn in regard to the Sherry Faye Smith case. Right. Where, oh, this just went too far. I just wanted to make love to her, making it sound like he loves her or, or believed that he loved her, and it just went too far, and he didn't know that she was sick. She had a, a rare form of diabetes that re- required her to consume large amounts of water if she couldn't get her medicine. And obviously, when he abducts her, He's not taking her with her medicine because he, one, doesn't know that she's sick and she's not prepared to be without that medicine. So it it really flies in the face of everything that he says to Dawn in regard to the Sherry Faye Smith case. It, it really makes it feel like a lot of his words have no real meaning.
1: Yeah, well, he's a lying shitbag, but... I almost feel like he took Deborah to keep living out this fantasy of what he wanted to do to Don.
5: What's up next is the final call that we have, and this is a call to a different person. It is still from our perpetrator, but now he is calling Charlie Keys, who is with a local news outlet, and he wants Charlie Keys to be relaying information from him to law enforcement
3: being traced or tapped. If it is, I'll hang up. No, I don't okay. have the ability okay. to do that. All right, this is concerning Sherry Faye Smith. huh And I'm going to use you as a medium. Can you handle it? Uh-huh. Okay, now listen carefully. huh Um, I can't live with myself, Charlie, and I need to turn myself in, and I'm afraid. Uh-huh. And you're very on Channel 10 TV at 7 because I want to make sure this is not a hoax call and I'll prove it to you by after I finish talking you call Sheriff Melton talk to him directly and tell him that he received a letter from Sherry handwritten it was her will and last testing and on the top page it had 310 in the morning and the date 6185 Folks, Charlie, and please help me now. Are you willing to work with me? Yes. Okay. Now be there, like I said. And you answer the phone and reconfirm that phone number over the uh, TV tonight and make sure I got it right. Okay. Can you work it in some way or another like that? Uh, well, work, try to do that where it's not it won't stick out. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Okay, now 7 o'clock do that. And try I feel like I can trust you, and and I've listened to you many times, and that's why I picked you as the medium. 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, Charlie. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Don't. Please work with me. Right. Okay, I'll see what I can do. And if not, call me back. Okay, but please if I can hear it being taped or traced and don't take me alive, Charlie, okay. Do what? Right. Take me alive. Charlie. Oh yeah, okay. Don't worry, don't worry. You be the only reporter now. All right. I don't want to make a circus out of this. Do you want to do you want want to tell me where you are now, Charlie? I'll listen for news and be there.
5: while your subscription is active.
1: All right, we're back, you filthy animals. Cheers to
5: everybody. Cheers to everyone. Make sure you check out our other show, Off the Record. You can find that at truecrimegarage.com if you need a little more true crime garage in your life. The FBI is now worried and regretting the ploy of using Dawn as bait because of the received threat. Uh, during all of this, law enforcement was still submitting the letter from Sherry titled The Last Will and Testament to every possible test. The letter was drafted on yellow lined legal paper from a pad. So they decided to use an SD machine. This device can detect even the slightest indentations on a piece of paper. They wanted to see if they could pull any possible information from indentations that were made from writing on pieces of paper above the last will in the legal pad. And they found some interesting leads. They found a partial grocery list and a sequence of numbers. With further testing, they could detect nine numbers of a possible 10-digit sequence. The numbers are, in this order, 205-837-13-8. This was a phone number in Huntsville, Alabama. So working with the phone company, they checked all 10 possible phone numbers for a connection to Lexington County, South Carolina, where Sherry and the Smith family lived. One of the numbers in Huntsville received several calls from a residence just 15 miles from Sherry Fay's home. The home belonged to Ellis and Sharon Shepard. Law enforcement went to the home and interviewed Ellis and Sharon. The Shepards told police they had made phone calls to Huntsville where their son was stationed in the army, but they were out of town when both of the murders were committed. They explained a man who worked for Ellis as an electrician, Larry Jean Bell, was put in charge of house-sitting for the six weeks that they were away. Larry was in his early 30s, divorced, lived with his parents. He was neat and orderly, and when he picked them up from the airport, he spoke constantly about the unsolved murders that occurred while they were away. He had noticeably lost weight, he was unshaven, and he was irritable. The sheriff asked Mr. Shepard to show him the room where Larry stayed while watching the home under the bed. They found Mr. Shepard's handgun jammed and pornographic magazines featuring bondage on the cover. Now regarding the sequence of numbers, the couple wrote down the telephone number for their son and gave it to Larry Jean Bell before they left for their vacation with instructions that if anything were to come up with the house to call their son, the police played a portion of the last call received by the Smiths. This is the one where the killer did not use the voice distortion device. Right. And the Shepherds confirmed it sounded just like Larry's voice. Armed with this information, they did some digging and they found that a vehicle registered to Bell was seen at the memorial service for Sherry Fay. The officer wrote down the plate number and noted that the driver did not exit the vehicle. He simply drove by. The vehicle was less than three years old. Early the next morning, police surrounded Larry's parents' home and arrested him as he was leaving their home to go off to work. A quick background check revealed Bell was twice arrested for attempted assaults on women. On both of these occasions, he attempted to force a young woman into his car at knife point unsuccessfully. Under questioning, Bell admitted to nothing. Inside Bell's parents' home, in his bedroom, police found hairs on the bed matching hairs from Sherry Faye Smith. In Larry's desk, they found a sheet of stamps from which the stamp used to marry Sherry's last will and testament originated from. The neighbor that witnessed the abduction of Deborah May told police after the arrest it was in fact Bell who he saw pulling the screaming child into his car that day. Under further questioning, Bell still admitted nothing. So they played the tape of his voice from the phone calls for him and still bell admitted nothing. So they brought in the FBI to further continue the questioning. They took a different approach rather than to continue to question him. They explained to him that they had a lot of experience in dealing with these types of crimes and that the perpetrator of these types of crimes never gets the opportunity to explain themselves and their side of the story. Often, the offender is too afraid and ashamed to admit what they have done, and once they are in court, their attorney will not let them take the stand. Right. So this individual is then trapped in a nightmare that never goes away, and he goes away to a lengthy prison sentence, and no one understands him. No one knows what the hell he was going through at that time.
1: Well, I like their tactic here, but we could always employ my scary clowns where we dress up like clowns and we beat the guy to the inch of his life to get him to start confessing.
5: Well, as they're explaining this to Larry, they notice that Larry Bell is nodding his head up and down. He's he's agreeing with what they have to say. Uh-huh. And seeing that he's responding, they leaned in for the kill and asked him, "When did you start to feel sorry about the crime, Larry?"
1: Do they whisper this?
5: I don't know. Okay. To it which, seems like it would be a powerful move, you know. Come on, Larry, tell us what
1: you
6: know.
5: We gotcha. Well, they asked him when he started to feel sorry about this crime and to which he says it was when he saw a photograph of the Smith family. Right. Then they asked him if he could have possibly done this sort of thing, and Larry told them, quote, all I know is the Larry Jean Bell sitting here could not have done this, but the bad Larry Jean Bell could have. So that is going to be the closest thing to a confession that Larry Jean Bell would ever give regarding both of these murders.
1: So we do have a confession or a loose confession, right? Implied confession. Mm-hmm. We have some of Sherry's hairs found in his room on his pillow?
5: In his bedroom.
1: Okay. And then we have an eyewitness that saw him taking the nine year old girl away. And the and and then the car registered uh, the yeah, so him program.
5: driving by the memorial is not really any evidence. Yeah, but
1: you know, it's stacking pieces on the case.
5: Right. Yeah. But but there is a lot of evidence. Like you said, you not only do you have the hairs that match Sherry Faye Smith's hair in his bedroom. I mean, how the hell is that going to get there? Two, you have the sheet from which the stamp came from that right. the last will and testament was mailed. You also have all these little connecting factors to the letter itself. You know, the indentations that they found using that SD machine. And then you have the uh, Shepherds for which he is home. You know, he's house sitting for. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, that's his voice on, right, right. <laughs> on that recording. And this is the so killer that's, um, that's calling yeah. and taunting the Smith family.
1: And that's not as good as picking them out of a lineup or anything. But that's that's something.
5: Right. And and to which I guess for the lineup purposes, you have a bit of less evidence regarding the abduction and murder of the little girl of Deborah may Helmick. Yeah. But you do have that eyewitness who says, okay, you know, I see this picture of Larry Jean bell on the news and he calls up police and says, that's the same guy that I saw take that little girl. So we have, all this evidence mounting up, and like you said, this real loosey goosey, somewhat of a confession. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say I didn't kill these girls. He says the bad Larry Jean Bell could have yeah. done this, would have been uh, capable, I guess, of doing this.
1: But the good Larry, you know, he's serving his community and he's serving God.
5: Sherry Faye Smith's older sister Dawn. She was super brave and strong during the investigation into her sister's. Abduction and murder. She went on to be crowned Miss South Carolina, and the following year she was the runner up in the Miss America contest. In February of 1986, Larry Jean Bell was convicted of murdering and kidnapping Sherry Faye Smith. The jury recommended the death sentence, and the trial judge imposed the sentence in accordance with the jury's findings. In 1987, in a separate trial, Bell was convicted of murdering and kidnapping Deborah May Helmick, and again he was given a sentence of death. For nine years, Larry Jean Bell filed and played the appeals game trying to work the courts. But on October fourth, nineteen ninety six, the state of South Carolina, in accordance with his sentences, Larry Jean Bell was strapped into the electric chair and killed. A large crowd cheered as the hearse carrying Bell's Body left the Broad River Correctional Institution. One of his defense lawyers said, quote, We have executed a sick, delusional, psychotic man. This is one of those weird situations, Captain, where life kind of mimics art here and things that we've seen on TV in these fictional crime stories where a town and area is aware that there's a serial killer out there on the loose claiming the lives of victims. And it's a race against the clock to catch the perpetrator and stop the madness, stop the murder. Larry Jean Bell was very much that situation. He terrorized this area for a little less than a month, and it was a situation where the police needed to bring in the heavy hitters, the FBI and SLED and people that were better equipped with better resources to track down this killer before the list of victims continued to grow. Now, unfortunately, as far as Larry Jean Bell is concerned, these are not the only cases that he was suspected of. There has been some suspicion over the years that he may have been involved in three cases that remain unsolved to this very day, two of which are Denise Newsom Porch from 1975 and Sandy Elaine Cornett from 1984. And in those two cases, Neither of their remains have ever been recovered.
1: But wait, we have more. More exclusive audio content for our beautiful listeners.
5: This week we were very excited to re release our original coverage. Of the Last Will and Testament case, the Sherry Faye Smith case. And that's because, as we said earlier, John Douglas, well, he wanted to sit down and talk about his involvement in this case and his new book that's coming out that's titled When a Killer Cause a Haunting Story of Murder, Criminal Profiling, and Justice in a Small Town. For those of you that don't know of legendary FBI profiler John Douglas, well, he is a former FBI special agent and the Bureau's Criminal Profiling Pioneer. He's a founding chief of the Investigative Support Unit at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia, and one of the creators of the Crime Classification Manual. And we were lucky to speak with him this week in regard to his new book, When a Killer Calls. But he's been on our show before, and we're happy to have him on again. If you'd like to check out our previous John Douglas episodes, those are titled "The Mine Hunter," episode number three hundred two, and "Mine Hunter John Douglas," episodes four forty five and four forty six. And now, here is a preview of my conversation with the great John Douglas.
6: One of the worst things about this, I mean, it was it was horrific, was that the mother uh, received some of the calls as well as the sister Dawn, and then the mother asked him. The mother says that my daughter. Uh, know she was going to die and bell says yes uh, you know she did and i gave her a choice and she could pick uh drug overdose gunshot or suffocation and your daughter selected suffocation and so what he did he proceeded to use duct tape while she was alive and duct taped her her head and then he waits he waits days for the body to uh, decompose uh before he tells us tells the family through now dawn the other the other sister where we can find, find Sheriff Faye Smith. And the reason that began, that tells you something about him too, because he doesn't want to leave anything forensically for us to determine like the cause of death, to locate any kind of hair and fiber evidence. But what we could see is that, and we, and we knew about the duct tape just by the evidence as she, uh, uh, her hair after he duct taped her head, he removed the duct tape because he didn't want to leave any th- fingerprints on the duct tape, and he uh, would end up cutting some of the hair on her head to to totally remove the duct tape. from us, so it was just it was just an unbelievable case. And and uh, to, to set up, um, uh, he stopped communicating with us. So that's that was a problem. When I finally went down there, he stopped communicating with with the police, uh, he, with the uh, the family. And I had to get him to talk. I had to get him to get back on the phone. So I I sat down with the investigative reporter, and told the investigative reporter uh, that I I wanted her to uh, come up with a story where Shari Faye is, uh, is buried, we want to have a memorial service. And uh, I'm not going to write it for you. I can't do that as an agent, but I want to make it poetic. And we're going to set up at the, the grave site we're going to put a um, kind of a lectern, a white lectern with Shari Faye's picture on it. And uh, when I was at the house, I asked to see Shari Faye's bedroom. And Dawn, her sister, showed me the bedroom. And, and in the bedroom were, were dozens upon dozens of of koala bears. And I started thinking in my brain, what can, I, what can I do here? What can I do? And I saw a small koala bear that was hanging from a string. And I took that. You pinch the shoulders and it opens up. And I'm thinking without... Telling anyone, I'm going to use this at the graveside. I'm going to have Dawn, who now he was targeting Dawn, uh, the other sister, place that at the uh, uh, at the graveside on a flower. And the hope is, uh, Nick, is that uh, he will uh, we will pique his curiosity because we do know from the research that I conducted and my colleagues they like to collect souvenirs, mementos relative to the to the crime. So it did all it did all those things. Uh, unfortunately from an investigative perspective, had no control o- over this, uh, but she was buried very, very close to the road if, and he would not take that kind of risk, but we were monitoring the vehicles and we would catch him another way. But had we not caught him another way that we talk about uh, in, in the book, we would have, we would have come across him eventually because we had, we had his uh, license plate number. He stopped along with other cars and we were recording all of those, uh, uh, vehicles. And from him, once we would do, a, say, a criminal check, you know, on these people who were stopping, we would find with him that he had a history. He had a criminal history of attempted abduction early on in his life. He was uh, involved in obscene uh, uh, telephone calls. He tried to abduct a, a nine-year-old girl besides a uh, another teenager. So we would have got him sooner, uh, sooner than later, but um, we got him other ways forensically.
1: the Colonel and John Douglas for their interview on part three. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter.